Here's an oldie but a goodie from the archives from the Side Hustle Show Greatest Hits Collection. What if you could make your rent or your mortgage payment go away? Or what if instead of paying that expense every month, your living situation actually paid you? Stay tuned to learn how to make that dream a reality. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because entrepreneurship often involves living a few years like others won't to live a life others can't. You may have heard that quote before, but that's the one that came to mind when I came across Craig Kirlop. By, quote, hacking his living situation over the past few years, Craig has turned what is typically our biggest expense, our rent or mortgage, and actually turned it into a profit center. Doing so has dramatically improved his net worth and put him on a fast track toward early financial independence. He's even written a book on the topic. It's called The House Hacking Strategy. You can find it at biggerpockets.com slash house hack. And this is the book I wish I'd had when I was 18 or 19. Definitely would have done some things differently in the intervening decade, which I think is the mark of an eye-opening read. The basic idea here is to use other people's rents to offset or even profit from your own housing costs, all while beginning to build wealth through real estate and earn tax benefits as well. Craig's got a few examples of how you can do this, whether you're a young professional or a little later in the show, if you've already got a family of your own. But keep in mind, this isn't the common path. This is living a period of time like others won't, as you'll hear in the first story, to perhaps live decades like others can't. Notes and links for this one, along with the full text summary with all of Craig's top tips from the call, are at sidehustlenation.com slash Craig. That's C-R-A-I-G. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Craig after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. I moved to Denver in April 2017, and I had closed on this duplex in June 2017. So it did not take me a lot of time to get started. I really just wanted to get started. And for some reason, I really wanted a duplex. So I found this duplex. It was a top bottom, one bed, one bath duplex on each side. It was top bottom now. And my strategy was that I rented out the top, lived in the bottom, and that wasn't quite covering mortgage. So I decided instead to rent out my bedroom on Airbnb while I made like a quasi bedroom out of my living room by putting up a curtain and a room divider and putting a futon behind that. And so I slept behind that for a year and had a revolving door of Airbnb guests coming in and out of my house every few days for the whole year. And it's actually really great. You know, that allowed me to more than cover my mortgage. I was living for much less than free and I got to meet travelers from all around the world. And some of them I'm still friends with and in touch with today. So it was a great experience overall. And as long as you don't mind living behind a curtain in your living room, you're set. Exactly. So was the goal there to say like, okay, I have this asset, my, I have my own bedroom that is, I'm not using it to my full potential. Like I could fit another person in here. I'm just curious, like the thought process that went into that. So my goal was that I really wanted to completely eliminate my living expense. And I was not doing that by just renting out the top and having the whole bottom unit to myself. And I know that most people on an Airbnb probably would not want to sleep on my couch. So I decided to just make the bedroom the one that I Airbnb'd and slept behind the curtain. And I got some actually a little bit of inspiration from a friend out in San Francisco when I was living out there who was doing that as well. But she had two kids as well behind that curtain in the living room. So I figured if she could do it, I could definitely do it. And I did it for a year. And after the first week or two, you really kind of get used to it. And that just kind of becomes your bed. And that's that, man. It's 
And it's totally worth like the hustle and how much money you were making from it. It was just so worth it. I think that's the important thing to note here. Actually, a couple of things. The first is like the first couple of weeks, hey, this is kind of weird. It feels like a little bit of a sacrifice. But after that, you kind of adapt and you say, well, this is my life now. It's like having grown up in Seattle, everyone is like, oh, isn't it so rainy? The crazy thing is like growing up there, you don't notice it. Like that's just how life is. And it's only when you move away and then come back and you're like, wow, why is it, why is it always so wet here? So I think that's really interesting. And I think the part about, like, it sounds like it was pretty well occupied where people were like, oh, the dude who owns it is just going to be right here in the living room. Like, was that a problem in getting bookings? No, man, it was filled almost every single day. And most people that came in were younger for the most part. So they kind of understood they just wanted a cheaper place to stay. And on Airbnb, you have the whole house option or you have the private room option. And as long as it's advertised correctly as private room, they knew that that was exactly what they wanted. They knew what they were getting. You know, there wasn't any surprises. And very few people thought it was weird. Very few people were surprised. And most people actually really like to just have someone to talk to, especially if they're alone. And so it was just kind of nice to make some friends that way. What was a typical nightly rate or maybe an average monthly take home from that? I would say on average, it was about 1100 a month. In the summer, it was closer to 1500 And in the winter, it was probably like seven or 800 And so between that income and the rental income from the top unit, you were living better than free. Yeah. My mortgage payment on that property was about 2000 And my rent was about 2800 that I was collecting between both. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It was a brand new property too. So you know, I knew there wasn't going to be too many fixes in the future. So I knew that, okay, I was going to set aside $250 a month for reserves and everything else was basically just cash flow. Now I reinvest that so I can just keep building, but that's the cushion. I think if you contrast that, because you young professional moving to Denver, not a low rent city, not a low price city. In contrast, you could have been spending 1500 to two grand a month on your own rent easily if you wanted a place totally of your own. Instead, you've completely erased that line item and have started to build well. Like that's of course, you know, because the power of compounding like really sets yourself up nicely for some early retirement financial independence. Like if that's your ultimate goal down the road, you've accelerated that curve tremendously just by cutting this one expense. Exactly. By doing that and kind of taking that sacrifice for for that first year, it really allowed me to save and do it again the next year, but not at such an aggressive rate where I could actually, you know, have my own bedroom and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not advocating like go out and try to find a place and sleep on your living room if that's super, super uncomfortable for you. But if you could do it, it would be very beneficial for you if you can hold it for a year. And that's the year timeline was for the requirements on that owner-occupied note. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So in order to get that low down payment, that 3 to 5% down, you're required to live there for one year. Okay. Yeah. So, so you'll fulfill your obligation there. Did you have any Airbnb nightmares or people that you really didn't want to be spending the night with? There were very, very few. I mean, some people I was annoyed with, but not like scared of by any means who just talk too much or whatever. There was one thing I did rent it out for about a, two months to one kid who was just really young. He was there for like a quick two month internship type thing. And there was one night that I almost lost it. Should we go into details or? Well, yeah, I'm curious what, you know, what happened? <laughs> okay. So I'm from New England, right? So it was the night of the Super Bowl and the Patriots had lost that Super Bowl. So I was already upset as it was. And if you know anything about football, when the Patriots lose, everyone else in the world is very happy. So these guys came home and they were like super, super happy. And this is a small apartment, right? It's about 600 square feet. It's one bedroom. And my roommate guy came home 
with one of his friends. And he just put up like a sleeping pad on my kitchen floor and slept on that all night while him and his girlfriend were in the bedroom doing things that you can imagine extremely loudly. And there was also a dog in that bedroom that was like barking and squeaking a toy all at the same time. And it went on for like hours. You know, I'm okay. Even for like 15, 20 minutes, I could, I could deal. But this was for hours. So I ended up like they moved from the bedroom to the bathroom. And that's when I went in the room and I took that dog's toy that was squeaking. And I just like threw it out the window. I, I literally just wanted to like kick the dog out. It was, it was bad. I, I was in a state of mind that does not represent my character by any means. But yeah, that was probably the worst night that I had. And then I, you know, I chatted with him about it in the morning and I said, if this continues, man, like I'm just going to, I'm kicking you out. That was the biggest nightmare of Airbnb. And that was partially my fault because I know I accepted that two month long rental. And when someone's there for two months, they really start to get comfortable. So they're start, they'll, they'll do all that kind of stuff. But when they're there for just three to five days, they're at their utmost respect and they want to just make sure your house is clean and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. So there's, I mean, pros and cons. So somebody rents for two months, like that's less total turnover. That's less work for you, I imagine, but it comes with, with some trade-offs. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you move out of there after a year. You still own that place? I do. Yep. Is it still Airbnb on the bottom or is it transitioned to a long-term traditional lease? It's rented full-time now. Yeah. And so that's cash flowing that property similarly or? Yeah, it's about the same. You lose a little bit when you transition because you'll make a little bit more on Airbnb. But basically it was a wash from when I was living there to when I moved out to now that I'm renting both out separately. You mind sharing the numbers on that deal as far as purchase price, down payment, cash on cash type of return that you saw? For sure. Yeah. So this is on the book too. The purchase price of that property was 385000 all in. I did a 3.5% down FHA loan for that one. And so my all-in price with closing costs and everything was about 17000 And that's what I put down. And so my monthly mortgage payment was just over 2000 It was like 2048 or something like that. So I was making 1750 on the top. And again, at 1100 or so on the bottom when I was living there. But then when I moved out, I was making about... 1300 on the bottom. So it's about just over three grand in rent on the top, minus that mortgage of two grand. So you're looking at cash flow of a little over a grand and put aside 250 bucks a month for reserves because it is a new property and it's also relatively small. And so my cash flow, cash flow was about 750 bucks a month. But again, I just saved that anyway. So it doesn't effectively, it's all reserves. But yeah, if I wanted to live off that, that's kind of what I think of as my, my living passive income. Okay, yeah. So you're looking at over fifty percent cash on cash, you know, at seven fifty a month over that seventeen grand down. That's not a bad return. <laughs> I take it. No, yeah, and and that's only one factor of of wealth building and house hacking, right? I paid my mortgage down by eight thousand. So if you add that to that, and the property appreciated like crazy that year, it appreciated like thirty or forty thousand. So right there, I've already got all my money back times two. So you factor in all that stuff and your net worth just explodes and that compounds as you get more and more too, obviously. Okay. Tell me about the the second place. Yeah. So exactly one year later, I purchased a second place. This time it was a, I'd use a 5% down conventional loan on a single family house. It was a five bed, two bath, about five to seven miles north of Denver in a town called Thornton. And in this one, I rented, I, I took one of the bedrooms that I wanted and I rented out the other bedrooms by the room. So when you rent by the room, you're able to charge more per room than you would if you were just to rent out the whole house entirely. 
So that's why I did that strategy. And now I have my own bedroom with a door and a window and I will continue to have my own upgrade. Yeah, I know, right? So I'll have my own bedroom for, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. So for that one, that purchase price was $343,000. And with 5% down, it was about 20 grand in with closing costs. And I ended up putting about 10 grand into it. So $30,000 was like my all in, all in expenses for like the initial payment. Is that typical? Cause that seems like knowing my, you know, my limited knowledge of the, of the Denver market, that still seems pretty affordable for a five bedroom house. Yeah. You can find them. They are everywhere. I actually, I just bought another one a couple months ago and I'm, I'm also an agent out here. So I help people do this strategy out in Denver as well. And yeah, they're everywhere. They're just not in Denver proper. So they're just outside of Denver. So if you're okay with living a little bit in the burbs and I still bike into work, so it's not crazy far. It's about 10, 15 minute ride into downtown. But if you're okay with doing that, then you can find properties, five beds, six beds for 350, 400 for sure. Wow. Okay. So you're renting this one out by the room and now you have a lot of different personalities at play to bring in four other people under one roof. What did that process look like? I mean, that's always the thing with all of these, like house hacking it means essentially living in close proximity with other people. And so like, what was that screening process like? Or like, hey, look, we're going to be spending a lot of time together. I don't know. It's something that I haven't done since college. And I think to my financial detriment, but I'm just curious how you went about it. Yeah. So I do a whole screening process, right? There's a whole application that I sent them. And part of that application is a background check and credit check. So that's always my first gut check. If those don't pass, you're not coming in. And I also do showings. So when I do in-person showings, and I typically just have time blocks of like two hours a day, every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll do a showing and it's just open house style. And I'll meet them all face to face. I'll shake their hand, show them the place, talk to them for a bit and get a good idea as if they'll be a good person to live with. Now, most young professionals that are doing this rent by the room strategy, or they're just, they're just looking for a bedroom, literally just go to their bedroom. They're often not in the common space. You're not interacting with them all that much. You'd actually be surprised. And when you are, usually they're pretty civil and social. And again, it all depends on your screening. So I take screening very seriously. And when you do that, you definitely avoid a lot of problems. So yeah, I don't mind. When you do the rent by the room strategy, again, because the sum of the rooms are going to be so much more than if you were to do it just as a single unit, you can actually charge a little bit less per room so you can have a wider range of people. So you can definitely kind of have your choice as to who your roommate's going to be. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I was just curious, like, you know, the demographics of the people, like, it sounds like, hey, similar to you, young professionals, we're going to be respectful of this community property. And that's interesting that, you know, most people are kind of keeping to themselves, like, okay, the, my room is my safe space. So that's where I'm going to hang out. For sure. Yeah. And I always, I, I tell them too, when I'm doing the tour, like, if you want to just chill, go to your room, shut your door, no one's going to bother you in there. If you do want to hang out, come out in the common space, watch some TV, come out in the backyard, hang out there, whatever, and then you'll probably get talked to. But it's, it's just like, I mean, when you're in college, if you had your own room in college, right? It's you go to your room or you go to the common area to hang out and chat. Are you all friends or does everyone keep to themselves? We are friendly. I can't say we hang out every weekend or anything like that. And it depends on the person too. Like, a lot of times you get your buddies to move in with you. So that's super helpful because then you just, yeah, you guys are friends and roommates. But if, if they're just random people, which are in the most case for me, usually it's like, yeah, we kind of hang out in our rooms or we hang out and we'll chat in the common areas, but we're not really going out together, doing big trips together or anything like that. Okay. And so what's your monthly carrying cost look like on this place? So it's almost identical. Crazy. It's like $2,034. And that's because I put a little bit more down 
it's a lower price. I put a little bit more down. But at that time, interest rates were kind of high. So that's kind of where the difference is there. So yeah, that's 2000 in monthly mortgage. And that, that mortgage includes on all of these. When I, when I talk about monthly mortgage, it includes insurance, taxes, interest, and PMI. So it includes everything. And so that 2000 there. And for this one, I was making about 3150 in rent while also living for free. And for this one, this was a larger house and it was a little bit older. So I put $400 aside for reserves. And so I was making about that same amount, like $750 a month in quote unquote passive income that I could take outside of my real estate and do whatever I want with it. With it. Again, I'm just reinvesting it, but yeah. I appreciate you mentioning the reserves because on the surface, you'd be like, hey, I've got 1100 bucks in cash flow. It's like, no, no, no. You can do some maintenance budget in there versus uh, some of the other real estate stuff that I read. Like, hey, look at all this cash flow. Yeah, I think that's a huge, very common mistake that a lot of real estate investors make and they usually get bit for it. So definitely be careful of that. Sometimes the best side hustle is simply leveling up your career and your earning power. If you're looking to transition into a remote tech career, making $70,000 entry level with absolutely no tech experience, no coding and no college degree needed, listen up. And that 70 grand is just entry level. On average, within 18 to 24 months, you can expect to be making 100 grand plus simply due to your experience. This career path offers opportunities from working full-time from anywhere in the world, using your skills to freelance on the side for $100 plus per hour, or working a contract part of the year, and then taking the rest of the year off. On the Side Hustle Show, we've called this software with a service, or piggybacking on a popular software tool. And the in-demand software in this case is Salesforce. There are so many roles available, including Salesforce business analysts, administrators, associate consultants, and more. And you can get started even if you know nothing about Salesforce today. Now's the time to design a career for your life instead of a life that has to fit around your career. Learn more about Salesforce tech careers with the completely free five-day Salesforce challenge at sidehustlenation.com slash Salesforce. Once again, that's sidehustlenation.com slash Salesforce to join the completely free five-day challenge to see if this career shift makes sense for you. Or to learn a bit more first, check out episode 441, where my guest reported earning 225 grand a year working just part-time in this field. As a Side Hustle Show listener, I know you're looking for ways to improve your life through entrepreneurship, but earning more is just one part of the equation. That's why I want to recommend you check out the Personal Finance Podcast. It's hosted by my buddy, Andrew Ginkola, and he specializes in sharing the tips, tactics, and hacks to upgrade your money, all while spending less and saving more. For example, I just want to give you a few of the episodes I've been listening to recently. The first is called 13 Financial Moves to Reduce Stress and Anxiety. I think we all feel a certain amount of stress about money. Either there's not enough or there's not going to be enough or we're missing out on the next big thing. Andrew goes through this checklist of actionable ways that you can sleep better at night, which I loved. Second one was 10 ways to increase investment returns and how those small wins can really compound over time. After we get paid from our side hustles, we want to make sure we're putting that cash to good use. And then finally, super interesting episode called Why You Should Negotiate Every Bill. Not something I'd really considered before, but apparently I've been leaving money on the table for years. Again, check out the Personal Finance Podcast, entertaining and informative advice from someone who absolutely loves the topic. Search for the Personal Finance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your wallet will thank you later.
So the four bedrooms are renting for this three grand, thirty-one fifty a month. You're living for free, better than free, and taking it all the way to the bank and to the point that you mentioned, like you're going to try and do this again. Are you going to keep living in this house or now rent out your room in this house and lather, rinse, repeat in another five, six bedroom place? Exactly. Totally rinse and repeat. Just last month, actually, I closed on my third one. I moved out of my second one and I filled that room. And now I've got someone managing that. Basically, I just discounted their rent by a hundred bucks and said, okay, like you deal with pretty much everything. The only thing I still deal with are going to be tenant screening and letting people in and out and lease stuff, mowing the lawn, shoveling. If things need to get fixed, he's going to go fix them. And that's basically that deal that I've done. And it's been working out great so far. And then I've got a third property, which we can start talking about. It would say this one is a six bed, three bath. And just two miles south of my old one. So it's kind of in between Denver and Thornton, which is where my second one was. And this one has got three beds, two baths upstairs and a completely different downstairs. It's three bed, one bath downstairs with its own kitchen, its own laundry room. Essentially, it's a whole other unit down there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's awesome. So what I did is the only problem with that bottom unit is it looked like a dungeon. There was like no natural light all kind of dark carpet, dark walls and stuff. So I'm actually renovating the entire thing, which because of my last two house hacks, I had some extra cash on hand. So I renovated it. I redid the floors, repainted everything, redoing the entire kitchen, basically redoing the entire place. And then I'm going to turn that into its own unit. And I'm going to Airbnb that out as a full unit while renting out the top two rooms by the room like I've done previously. So this one's kind of a hybrid of the of the two. Is everybody, sorry, going back to place number two, is everybody on a 12 month lease there? No, not everyone's on a 12 month lease. Everyone is on at least like a eight month lease. I like to try to have the leases expire between April 1st and August 31st because that's when the easiest time to fill. So for example, the last guy signed on September 1st and he wanted like a nine month lease. So I said, okay, I'll give you a nine month lease. Just as long as it's between those dates, I'm okay with, with not a 12 month lease. Just because like nobody wants to move around the holidays or something? Yeah, no one wants to move around the holidays. No one really moves when it's cold or in the winter. It just seems like there's a lot more, for lack of a better word, inventory of people looking for places in the summer. At the end of the semester, school's out, people are moving, or beginning of kind of the next semester, people are out and moving, getting jobs, moving jobs, whatever it is. Okay, so you're going into the upstairs of this place. You have two extra bedrooms to rent out on a per-bedroom basis, and then you've got the three-bedroom Airbnb unit downstairs. Exactly right. What are the numbers penciling out to be for this one? Yep. So this one I bought for 380000 And this one, the mortgage payment is just over 2100 for this one. And rent up top total is 1550 So for the two rooms, I'm, I'm renting out the master bedroom for 900 and then just like a regular no frills type bedroom for 650 And I anticipate... I haven't actually started on the Airbnb yet. I'm still in the process of renovating. But I've got a friend in a similar area who has a studio apartment downstairs in her basement that she rents out and she gets on average $2,000 a month. So I'm thinking very conservatively, considering I have the three bed, one bath with my own kitchen and everything, I'll get $2,000 a month. So that would be thirty five fifty over a 2100 mortgage and living for free. So that's $1,400 over the mortgage. Again, probably set aside $400 for reserves. So now you're looking at $1,000 in, in cash flow there. And what was your acquisition cost for this one? So the down payment plus closing costs for that one was 25000 
And I'm probably putting another twenty to thirty thousand dollars into that basement rehab and just some other minor things around it. So this one is about fifty to fifty-five all in. Okay. And so you're able to continually use these kind of like low down payment owner occupied options. Cause I always thought I was like, hey, it's a first time home buyer program. It's like, well, it's clearly not your first time. Nope. That's a myth. It's not a first time home buyer program. They do have first time home buyer programs where you can even get a lower down payment, like maybe even one percent or three percent. But the 5% down conventional is you can do that over and over again. The catch here is that it has to be on a single family residence. So the only way to get that low down payment of less than 5% on a duplex, triplex, or quad is to use that FHA loan. And you can only have one FHA loan out at a time. So if your plan is to do this, the duplex, triplex strategy, what you're going to want to do is get a duplex, triplex, or quadplex that you can fix up so that you put down your 3.5%, you fix it up, and then you can have 25% because of forced appreciation, which is just means you are actually doing the improvements yourself rather than letting the market do it for you. And then you can refinance out with a 25% loan and then use the FHA loan again. So it's a little bit more work, but if you really want to do the multifamily two to four unit, that would also one way you could do it. Yeah, this has definitely got our gears spinning. In fact, this is kind of one of my my wife's addicted to like the Redfin app, even though we're we're renting today. She's still is like always scrolling through. They say, oh, look at this place, look at this place. And one of the things that she shares with me more often than just a random house are the ones with a hacking ability. I think that's one of our beefs against real estate historically is like, it's not hackable. Like we've been able to hack so much other stuff in our lives from our jobs to travel. And it's like, this just seems like an unavoidable monthly expense. And you're saying, no, look, there is a very straightforward way to avoid it. And so the ones that she shares with me are the ones that have like this mother-in-law unit or have this like permitted off garage unit or something. And sadly, where we are, the rent from that, you know, maybe covers your property taxes, but it's at least a way to eliminate your property taxes versus just taking it and, and paying that every month. So definitely got my gears spinning. This is something that, you know, just touched on briefly on the show in the past. And this is like an Airbnb sublease strategy. I'm curious if you have any exposure or experience with this, where basically you approach this not as a real estate investor, but as an aspiring hospitality mogul in the world of Airbnb and saying, look, Mr. Landlord, I see you have this, or Mrs. Landlord, I see you have this five, six bedroom place available for rent. I would like to rent that from you with the intention of turning around and putting that up on Airbnb. You ever try anything like that or know anybody who has? Yeah, I actually have done this. One of my friends has a condo in downtown Denver. It's a two bath, two bed, two bath condo. That's perfect location. And he couldn't find someone to rent it out for the price he wanted. So I said, okay, well, I'll rent it out for the price that you want. And the only caveat here is I'm going to put it on Airbnb and I'm going to keep the difference. And so, yeah, this was actually a huge side hustle type thing for me for about a year. I probably made 10 to 15 grand over the course of that year, just on that, we call it Airbnb arbitrage, where it's exactly what you said, where put on Airbnb, you pay your landlord the rent and you keep the difference. And yeah, it was huge. It was actually a huge, huge helper in helping me pay down my student loans, which I had $86,000 of student loans when I started this journey and I've paid them all off in just a couple of years. So yeah, this is a huge help there. What kind of time did you put into managing this? This sounds like fascinating to me because it's like, hey, 5% 5% down payment is great, but it's still 5% down. Like here is like first and last month's rent and a security deposit and you're, and you're off to the races. 
Yeah, this is so this is much easier to get into for sure. The only problem is you're not really building wealth. You're kind of creating a job for yourself because you're only getting the cash flow part of it. Unless you start building up a massive portfolio of these and can sell them off to an Airbnb management company, you're not really creating value unless you're building a business out of it. So that's kind of the downside to it. But yeah, I mean, if you're early on and you're just trying to save up for that first down payment, that would be a great way to go about doing it. And you're going to run into a lot of landlords that are going to say, no, they're not, they are not going to want to do this for you. But you just have to keep pushing and keep asking them. Is there a particular type of property? So you mentioned, hey, this is downtown Denver, perfect location. The type of property you see working better for this than others? I would say it's definitely better in those vacation type properties. So people are visiting Denver all the time. So you know there's going to be interest in this place downtown. Yeah, steady demand. It's walkable. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. Walkable to bars, walkable to the ballpark, all that kind of stuff. If you're in a city, you kind of want something in the city. Or if you're in Denver, we also have mountains. So if you have a house in the mountains or close to the mountains, also would be a great place. If you're on a beach, a beach house would be great. Stuff like that. Okay. And so the trick is finding one of these units available for long-term lease and then selling the landlord on the idea that, look, I'm going to guarantee your rent every month. I'll be the greatest tenant you ever had. But here's what I intend to do with the property and finding the person who says like, yeah, that's fine. If you're going to pay me and maintain it, go go to town. Yeah, exactly. And you tell the landlord, yeah, you'll, you won't have to worry about the little fixes, you know, light bulb break or a leaky sink or something like that. Like you'll take care of all the little stuff and someone's going to be coming in and cleaning your place every three to four days. Typically, vacationers don't use the appliances that much. So your appliances won't be used as much. You know, there are a lot of positives to it for the landlord. You just have to, they just don't realize it. So you just have to really kind of bring it to their attention. But for sure, as a landlord, I would let someone do that for sure. And I'd actually probably maybe ask for a little bit of the upside or I'd make, I'd charge them a little bit more to do that. Sure. Because you're going to have more turnover. I'm going to charge a little bit of a premium on that rent, or it's got to be rented furnished or, or were, did you, were you in charge of furnishing it? We kind of split the furnishing. We ended up splitting that off basically because it wasn't allowed in the HOA and then the HOA caught us. So we, we just shut it down and he bought me out for the furniture that I bought. And now he has it as a full-time rental. Yeah. That's the thing with Airbnb. So many municipalities do not like it because it's really been disruptive for long-term rents and, and real estate prices and all for, for a lot of reasons. So yeah, definitely check with your city's and local laws because, you know, not only what they have in place now, but subject to change at any time. So it's got to pencil out as a long-term, you got to have a backup plan, I guess, is, is where I'm going with that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely do not have it. So Airbnb is the only way that your property works. You will end up underwater for sure. You have to have it work in multiple ways. And what were you putting in terms of time dealing with coordinating cleaners and all the other stuff that comes with messaging guests and handling check-ins and stuff? There's software out there that does all that. So we had like a, just an automatic keypad. There's a software out there that's called Smart BNB where you set up automatic messages. And so every time there's a booking, it says, thank you for booking. 24 hours before check-in, it sends them all the check-in instructions. And if they have questions, sometimes it can actually detect the questions they ask and send the response back. So there's software out there for all that. My cleaning lady was just, she was on my calendar so she could just see when guests were checking in and out. That's when she would come in and out. Yeah, it was pretty automated. You know, there were only a time I would really do anything was if there was something wrong at the place, something was broken, or if the one-off question wouldn't get caught by the automatic response and I'd have to go in and send a text to the person. So yeah, and thinking about like all the Airbnbs that I've rented, I've had to message the host just a handful of times. One was like, is there a heater in this place? It's freezing in here. He was like, yeah, there should be in the closet. Like, nope, there's nothing. And by the time I went to dinner and came back, he you know, I found somebody to drop off a heater. So yeah, probably not 
the world's most intensive, especially if you're kind of automating the, the check-in, check-out, and have a reliable cleaning service to, to go and do that. I think that's a really interesting side hustle. Like you said, 10, 15 grand on the side before the condo uh, homeowners association said uh, not anymore. Yeah, we were both so mad when they got us, but <laughs> we knew it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. So uh, Interesting. That makes me kind of want to check the HOA rules where we are. <laughs> they probably don't allow it, but just say, uh, I'm not encouraging anything. So yeah, Right. Check your local laws for sure and your homeowners association rules. How about for somebody who, like myself, like we're married, we got a couple kids, there's the option of buying a place with that mother-in-law unit, you know, in the, in the backyard or like the tiny house type of thing in the backyard. Anything else you've seen work for families who are like, yeah, I really don't want to live with my wife and two kids behind a curtain in the living room. For sure. We call that the luxurious house hack where you live in the big house and you just rent out the, you know, the additional dwelling unit or whatever. And that works and it's perfect. You probably will not get the same type of cash flow that you would on like a other type of house hack, but typically you're going to sacrifice comfortability with profitability. So the more comfortable you are, the less profit you're going to get. And with a family, unfortunately, you probably want to be a little bit more comfortable than if you were just single or whatever. You will 100% be better than if you did not have someone back there, but you probably, you may not totally cover your mortgage. It may only be by like a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks on a $2,000 mortgage. Another strategy that you could use too would be the duplex, triplex or quadplex. So then at least you have a whole place to yourself and then you're likely still sharing a wall with your tenant. And as long as you're okay with that, I suspect most people want to live in kind of a detached single family home as they get older. But if you're just starting out, it may not be a bad idea just to do that for a year before you can, which will lever you up into that single family dream home that you wanted. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. 
So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, so some people have kind of expressed concerns about like, oh, if I have, you know, even just to rent out a bedroom in your house, whether it's Airbnb or whether it's a long-term tenant, I guess if it's a long-term tenant, that's less of an issue. But if it's Airbnb, like what are these, you know, rotating cast of characters that are coming through my house? I'm almost, especially as the kids get a little bit older than they are now and they sleep through the night, it would be hard to sell like, hey, you want to come sleep with us? They might wake up in the middle of the night. You kind of are exposing since such so much of Airbnb is international, like you're exposing them to like, it's almost like the exchange student thing where it's like, hey, come stay with us for the summer. I think that would be actually a really interesting way to introduce kids to people from all over the world and and hopefully not have the experience that you have one one of your guests. Yeah. And again, that, that, that one experience, I mean, I've had hundreds of guests and one bad experience. And that was on the one guy who got comfortable with me. Everyone else has been super nice, super friendly. I've stayed at a lot of Airbnbs too, where, where I got a bedroom and there's a family, right? There are kids running around and you just end up kind of hanging out. I, I often just hang out with them and the kids and you're kind of just part of family for a couple of days and they kind of welcome you in. They know. Anyone who puts a room up on Airbnb isn't going to be surprised when you come into their house because they know they put the room up on Airbnb and they know you're going to be around their kids. So they've already thought of that and they've already felt comfortable with that. Airbnb does their checks and all that kind of stuff. And if someone looks sketchy, you can decline them, whatever. But ultimately, you'd be surprised as to how many people don't mind if there's kids running around or not. Yeah, this is really interesting stuff. I love Livermore, love living here, love the Bay Area, but... That's our biggest beef. Man, it's not cheap. And if there was a way, if there, if only there was a way, if only someone had written the book on house hacking, maybe we could neutralize this expense or at least reduce this expense. So Craig, really appreciate you joining me. You mentioned you had a couple other acquisitions in the works. Is this the game plan? Just, you know, continue to build your empire? To be honest, I don't really like to think too far out because I just think life changes really quickly. My goal here is to be as flexible as possible. So when life throws me something, I can hit it out of the park. And for now, I'm going to probably get at least one more house hack after this one. And I'd like to probably travel for a little bit. I think now I'm officially financially independent. So I'm going to take advantage of that while I am still young and take some time and go travel in probably about 18 months or so. Yeah. And then, and then come back and probably start building the empire a little bit more. I definitely am getting, I've got a little bit more capital and stuff on hand. I'll probably get into some, some burring and just some other types of real estate investing. Cause I just think that's really fascinating. But eventually at the end of the day is I want to have my life back and I don't want to have a full job. So when the time comes, I'd like to probably sell them on real estate and put an in index funds and just kick back and relax for a little while. So who knows, just whatever life brings at me, I want to be able to take. So, well, that's really cool. Appreciate you sharing that. And I'm really impressed with the foundation, the financial foundation that you built for yourself at a pretty young age. So again, check out the book. It is The House Hacking Strategy. Again, the book that I wish I had read upon graduation. I definitely would have made some different moves in those intermediate years, in those intervening years. Biggerpockets.com slash house hack. If you want to grab a copy today, it is really well done, really eye-opening stuff. Craig, let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. I would just say, don't be afraid to get started and take that first step and just take action rather than computing, 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 running numbers. Just go do it. And if it doesn't work, stop. You can always stop. You can always adjust. We're human. You can always adjust. So I would say just take action and keep doing a lot of what works and stop doing what doesn't. 
Absolutely. Craig, appreciate you joining me and we'll catch up with you soon. The math nerd in me loved Craig's approach of erasing his housing expense. This is something Brent and I seriously talk about all the time since it's such a big line item expense in our personal budget. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with Craig. Number one is to avoid that lifestyle creep as long as you can. Live like a college student as long as you can because it's hard to go back the other direction. Craig calls this hedonic adaptation. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but the basic idea is that a luxury once experienced becomes a necessity. So if you're serious about financial independence, a really important part of the game is postponing those luxuries. This is something we've been talking about in our house a lot lately. Just because you can afford something doesn't necessarily make it a good idea. It doesn't necessarily mean that's going to make you any happier in the long run. Now, if you consider that your savings rate is the single most important variable in your financial independence equation, that is, out of every dollar you earn, how much do you get to keep after all your expenses? That might make it easier to keep that lifestyle creep in check. Every time your income increases, you can look at it as a way of becoming more profitable as a household, not necessarily as permission to increase your lifestyle and expenditure to new heights, living up to those means. So we go back and forth on that a lot. And the counterpoint, of course, is lifestyle creep is kind of the point, right? Like, what's the point of making money if you can't enjoy it? There's a Tim Ferriss line that goes something like this. How can I, quote, waste money to improve my life? That's the whole point. But my takeaway from this chat with Craig is if you postpone or defer that lifestyle creep as long as you can, maybe even until you've already achieved some level of financial independence, you'll hit your goals much, much faster. At least be conscious of it. So that's that's takeaway number one for me. Takeaway number two is to consider all the options. I know Craig just said not to overanalyze this stuff, but I get the sense he didn't go into any of these deals without knowing the numbers. So use those to compare your different options and get creative. When I graduated, I was in a rush to be grown up, to get a place all on my own. And I was super focused on one option. And that option was finding a one-bedroom apartment. This was in Reston, Virginia, outside of DC. I had the blinders on to anything else. So if nothing else, I hope Craig has opened your eyes to some alternatives. And then you can do your own calculations as to what makes sense for you. That's takeaway number two, to consider all the options. And takeaway number three is to look for some low-risk ways to test this out, to start small, essentially. Some friends of ours have rented out a bedroom in their house for years to interns coming through town, to coworkers, and that doesn't cover their entire mortgage, but it is an extra 500 to 1,000 bucks a month to offset their living costs from a room they already had. And if you decide you don't like it or it's not worth it, you can stop. I don't think we talked about this on air, but it was Ben Foley from episode 232 who told me about Airbnb his living room for a while. He's like, yeah, it was crowded. Yeah, it was uncomfortable sometimes, but it added up to some significant cash. Another listener, Michael, wrote me with an even more extreme example than Craig living behind a curtain. He would rent out his entire apartment on Airbnb, which left him living out of his car, his Ford Escape. And I don't think that it's awesome that anyone would do that out of necessity. But if you can stomach that discomfort, again, doing the things that other people won't you can set yourself up pretty nicely. In this case, Michael ultimately earned 150 grand, which totally erased his student debt and cut years off his working career if he wants to go that path. He gave me this quote. 
Quote, everyone wants the convenience of financial freedom, but only a few go through the inconvenience of achieving it. End quote. That's takeaway number three for me. Start small, look for some low risk ways to test this out. See if you like it, see if it ends up being worthwhile for you. Once again, notes and links for this episode, along with all of Craig's top tips from the call, are at sidehustlenation.com slash Craig, C-R-A-I-G. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. <laughs>